Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Like, well, they went on shared the word. They missed it. It's the word of God. So, Second Chronicles chapter 2. I'm going to begin with verse number 1. Amen. I had a little spirit of grace living on me there. The Bible says, in Second Chronicles, I am. I'm an actually, I want to be in chapter number one. Guys, I totally messed up for you there. It's even wrong in my notes. I hate when that happens. Second Chronicles chapter number one and verse number one through seven. I'll give them a moment to get there with me. Thank you. And Solomon, the son of David, was strengthened in his kingdom. Translation that I read, I don't know if it was this week or last week, the ESV said that, Solomon, the son of David, established himself in his kingdom. The Lord his God was with him and magnified him exceedingly. Then Solomon spake unto all Israel, to the captains of thousands and of hundreds, and to the judges, to every governor in all Israel, the chief of the fathers. So Solomon and all the congregation with him went to to the high place, that was at Gibeon. For there was the tabernacle, the congregation of God, which Moses, the servant of the Lord, hath made in the wilderness. But the ark of God had David brought from Kirjath-Jerim to the place which David had prepared for it, for he had pitched a tent for it at Jerusalem. So I want you to just start processing what's going on here. We have a makeshift tent at Jerusalem that David created for the ark, and that's where the ark is. And we have the old tabernacle of Moses stationed in Gibeon where the altar, the original altar still is. The Bible says in verse 5, Moreover, the brazen altar that Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made... He put before the tabernacle of the Lord and Solomon and the congregation sought unto it. And Solomon went up thither to the brazen altar before the Lord, which was at the tabernacle of the congregation, and offered a thousand burnt offerings upon it. And just the first phrase of verse number seven, in that night did God appear unto Solomon. So Solomon's trying to find his footing in his reign as a new king. And he resorts to go at some distance to the altar when right there within the city of Jerusalem was the ark that David was housing. For a little while tonight, I want to minister simply this. From altar to ark, establishing kingdom legacy. From altar to ark, Establishing kingdom legacy. Amen. Let's ask the Lord to help us here tonight. We've already felt very, very 
tremendous spirit of the Lord here. We want him to continue through his word. This is his word. Father, God, I come to you tonight, and I'm thankful, Lord, for your goodness. Thankful, Lord, for your mercy and your grace. I pray, Lord, today that there be a fresh touch of your spirit, God, upon us through your word. God, let it go forth and do that which it was sent to accomplish in our lives. God, that's your scripture. We know it will do so. Help us, O Lord, tonight to be guided and directed by it. God, we'll fail not, Lord, to thank you for it. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray. Amen and amen. The church say amen. Amen. You may be seated tonight. From the altar to the ark. Establishing kingdom legacy. Solomon's ascent to kingship was more than just a son that's filling the void that his father was going to leave. It's, it's more even than the arrangement of his father fulfilling a promise that he has made to his son. This whole act is a divine act. We know from other places in Scripture that Solomon arose to the place that he did because ultimately it was the will of God for him to arise to the throne room of his father. In many ways, Solomon was the counterpart to David. Solomon in his reign, in, in 40 years of time of reigning, was, was complementary to his father's 40 years of reigning. In many ways, uh, Solomon completed what David started in his kingship. David, according to the scripture, had fought and he had warred for most of his tenure, for most of the time that he was king. It seemed like he was a fighting and a warring king, always off to the battlefield for another engagement against an enemy or an adversary. Therefore, whenever Solomon takes the throne of his father and David slips off uh, the, 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 the scene of life and finds himself towed in a grave, Solomon then is starting his kingdom during a time of peace because of the wars of his father and not only is he starting during a time of peace but Solomon's reign is denoted and it is it is known and labeled by peace itself David the scripture says that he would rule over Hebron and he did for several years and then would later rule over Hebron and Israel and so it was under the office and the rulership of David that he brings a uniting of the tribes of Israel and when his son Solomon came to rule after him Solomon is just blowing some wind in those same sails he is furthering the efforts of his father he's bringing more stability to the tribes amen of the nation of Israel David through his reign he's establishing alliances with other nations and Solomon comes behind him and he's expanding all of the international trade among their kingdom he's also pushing the borders that they once had they are broadening them and they are taking more land for their kingdom the status among nations is increasing and rising and while David had a heart to build the temple of the Lord it was Solomon that actually actually built that temple while David prepared relentlessly for that place Solomon superintended its completion and its development all along the journey so in many ways Solomon compliments David but before there was ever a temple before there was ever a temple there was a tabernacle 
As a matter of fact, in the early days after the Israelites settled in the land of promise, the tabernacle was in a place called Shiloh. It would, it would remain there for several years and it was the central place for worship during the ages of Joshua and the era of the judges. But later that tabernacle would be moved from Shiloh to the place called Gibeon. It would become the primary center for worship there during David and Solomon's dynasty. There, that ancient altar, the altar, the same altar according to Scripture, the same altar that Moses had employed Lord Bezalel as a, a artisan, a, a craftsman for making the things of the tabernacle years ago. The very same altar that Bezalel ha, had constructed and made was the same altar that was there in the tabernacle at Gibeon. Amen. The one that Moses had instructed to be built. Please understand that I'm talking about an old altar. I'm talking about an ancient altar. This altar has survived some 475 years. This is an old altar that is stationed at Gibeon in the tabernacle. And so earlier though, whenever and the scripture tells us earlier, whenever David had brought the Ark of the Covenant from Obed-Edom's house to Jerusalem, he had pitched, the Bible says, this kind of temporary makeshift tent for the altar or for the, the Ark of the Covenant to go inside. And so he just kind of structured some type of tent to house this thing in the city of Jerusalem. He wanted it back in the city of God. And so he made this temporary tent. And so it's stationed at Jerusalem. But then the altar is at the tabernacle in Gibeon. Gibeon. There is six and a half miles Six and a half miles between Jerusalem and Gibeon. Six and a half miles. And in between those two places, there's rolling hills, there's rocky terrain, there's valleys, there, there's ancient, narrow, and very steep paths that's winding through hills, and there's sparse vegetation all around on that six and a half miles that divide Gibeon from Jerusalem, that divide the altar from the Ark of the Covenant. Amen. We understand in Scripture some of the significance. Just walk with me here for a bit tonight. Some of the significance of the Ark of the Covenant. Israel revered the Ark of the Covenant as the very presence of God. Initially, God had spoke to Moses. He says, Moses, I want you to make this Ark. And on top of this Ark, I want you to make a mercy seat. And I want there to be two cherubim that are attached to this mercy seat that are facing one another but looking down upon this mercy seat. And he told Moses, he said, I will meet with you between, up above on that mercy seat, between those two cherubim, I will meet with you in and upon that ark of the covenant. And when the ark came into the Hebrews camp later in scripture, the Bible tells us that the Philistines fearfully testified. They said, God is come into the camp. The Ark of the Covenant was coming into the camp, but even the Philistines recognized and equated the Ark of God with God himself. They said, God is come into the camp. And when the Ark was taken by the Philistines, it, it was Phoenix' wife that claimed and named their baby Ichabod, saying that the glory of the Lord had 
departed. They, they made an association between God's presence and the ark. Even the psalmist David, as he writes one of the psalms of Psalm 68, he says, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered. He, he is alluding to the fact of whenever those priests would pick up that ark on their shoulder and go into war and go into battle. He was alluding to that. But he's not saying let the ark of the covenant arise. He's saying let God arise and his enemies be scattered. There's a connection between the ark of the covenant and God's presence. Can someone say amen? But before there was a tabernacle and before there was a sanctuary, there was also an altar. You know that Noah is recorded in Scripture as the first altar builder. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob were all altar builders. The ancient altar stood as a very sacred bridge, if you will, between our mortal existence and that divine realm of the heavenlies. It served as a conduit to access that matchless presence of the Lord. It was during the tabernacle years, the altar positioned prominently there in the outer court of the tabernacle. Amen. The altar significance surpassed just its physical structure and its makeup and what it looked like. The altar embodied a spiritual connection that happened between humanity and between God. Through all of the sacrificial offerings that were put upon it, amen, mankind understood that altar was a place where they could go to the Lord with a heart of gratitude and worship and find a voice that they could echo up into the heavens of their appreciation to God. It was there at that altar, amid all of the burning fire, amid all the billowing smoke, amid the crackling of a burnt offering and the crackling of the wood, that it would seem like that heaven and earth, there was just a thin sheet, a thin veil, amen, that was separating one from the other. The altar in that tabernacle, it was more than just some type of, some type of artifact of some type past it was a living testament that there was a pathway to God it was a living testament that there was a place toward his presence while the ark is hidden somewhere behind a veil in the holies of holies and it seemed distant from people it was the altar that stood in the open place amen a tangible symbol of communion with God people understood that altar activity provided a bridge to the sacred a bridge to the presence of of the Lord. Someone say amen. The ark, though, wasn't always found within the sacred space of the holiest of holies. We read in our Bibles of time that it was taken from there. We read that it was taken during times of war. We read of one place where the Philistines had stolen it away and it had went through different towns like Gath and Ashdod and Ekron and it spent a few nights uh, sitting beside the idol god Dagon and he fell on his face more than one time. There, there were times that the Ark of the Covenant was as stated in our scripture as it alluded to in Kirjath Jerem for years it was stationed there. There were another time that it was temporarily held in Obed-Edom's house for about three months. And so it's been here and it's been there. Amen. And now in Scripture at this point in time, it's in the provisional structure that David had made for it at Jerusalem. But the altar, someone say the altar. But the altar, it's in the tabernacle during the wilderness journeys. 
It's there in the tabernacle when it was located in Shiloh. It's there in the tabernacle while it's in Gibeon. The altar is ageless. There's been no improvements to the altar. No one's attempted to steal the altar. It has survived some 475 years. And all of that brings me to my text. Because the Bible says that Solomon was strengthened or he established himself in his kingdom. Solomon had just recently been anointed as Israel's new king. And David has done everything that David could do in order to make sure Solomon had the respect of the people and the acceptance of the people, putting his son in that position that they would be mindful of him. But just as with any new venture in life, Solomon had to establish himself. He could have all the accolades and all the endorsements of his father, but he needed to establish himself. The Bible tells us plainly that God was with Solomon. Thank the Lord. The Bible tells us plainly that the Lord even magnified, amen, the efforts, amen, of Solomon. But Solomon, you still got to give God something to magnify. Someone say amen. It would have been convenient. Listen to me tonight. Amen. It would have been convenient for Solomon to establish himself in his reign for this new king to go right there in the same city where he dwelt. In the same city where he lived, it would have been easy for him in the same city just to go over to where the temporary tent of David was and avail himself of the ark of the covenant because it was right there. It was in his backyard, so to speak. It was in his city. It had been easy for him to do that. But Solomon understood the history of the presence of God, the ark, and the altar. And what Solomon understood was this, is that the way to the ark, the real true way to the ark, the true way to the presence of God, the true way to experiencing that is through an altar. Someone say amen. Don't you think for a moment that Solomon did not understand the early design of the tabernacle. Here's the altar in all of its grandeur, in all of its prominence. It's an imposing structure out there in the outer court. Amen. If I could say it like this, you couldn't go to the Ark of the Covenant, amen, without the altar grabbing your attention. Amen. You couldn't avoid the altar by going to the Ark. It was so imposing. It was so evident that it was there it was understanding then in Solomon's mind that altars lead to arcs. Altars lead to the presence of the Lord. Somebody hear me right now. Solomon could have taken the easy route. Solomon could have conveniently just accessed that physical ark that was directly right there in his city. But you know what Solomon decided to do? He made a deliberate choice. I'm going to approach that, amen, by going to the altar. I'm going to secure that by going to a place, amen, where sacrifices are, amen, where I surrender myself. I'm going to get there by going to the altar. Someone say amen. amen. 
you don't understand here tonight. What that meant then for Solomon in this time is that he's going to have to journey six and a half miles. What that means for Solomon right now, he's going to have to go over the hills and through the valleys and through the rocky terrain. He's going to have to go through the parched fields. He's going to have to go the distance. Amen. Because you know what? He's believing in the back of his mind. If my kingdom's going to be established... If our kingdom's going to be established, if I'm going to have something for God to magnify, I'm going to have to go get myself an altar. If I'm going to establish myself and make myself firm and sure in this kingdom, then I'm going to have to do it by way of an altar. I want his presence, but his presence come through and by. So I'm going to have to take a journey. I'm going to have to take a journey. I'm going to have to go six and a half, six and a half miles to a time-worn aged altar of 475 some years old that is stained with the blood of 475. Stained with the blood of four. There's nothing modern about where he's going. Nothing modern about what he's about ready to get involved in. He's got a new, a new kingship for a new era. But he's going back to something aged. Oh yes. Oh yes. Honey, this is not, you know, three hand claps to the left and one leg kick for the presence of God. It's the same thing that it's always been. It happens through and by an altar. We, I, I told, the, I told the, the, the leadership in the back, it seemed quite appropriate and at all times happened. We ask for prayer. People come up for prayer. And you know what starts happening? God's spirit begins to move as they just come up for prayer. I believe it's a divine principle. We're passing through an altar and we're finding God's presence we're passing through a time of prayer and we're arriving at the ark it's aged it's old there's a lot of bloodshed there but I don't need a modern day altar so to speak for the service and my commitment in this day he understood I'm going to traverse the path to an altar because he understood it's linked I know it's six and a half miles but it's linked to his presence note the scripture if you will this approach of what he did traveling six and a half miles from Jerusalem to Gibeon his approach resulted in verse number seven that I read the first phrase to you in that night, God did appear unto him. God appeared unto Solomon in that night. Matter of fact, the Bible says that Solomon and the congregation went on a journey from Jerusalem to Gibeon to do what? You look at it there in one of the other verses. They went there to seek out that altar look at it in your Bibles they went there to seek out that altar that old altar that altar that was in Moses' day 
that altar that Bezalel had constructed. They went to seek out the original altar. They did that by day. And at night, God appeared unto Solomon. Look what the scripture says here. This is what Solomon knows. That if I will seek the altar, let me state it this way. If you will seek the altar, you won't even have to seek God's presence. God's presence will find you. You hear me? If you will seek the altar, he said, I sought it by day, but God appeared at night to me. Whenever I prioritized the altar, I didn't have to go looking for God. He came looking for me. God. Oh, yes. Honey, you want to get the attention of God? Then seek after the attention of the altar. Amen. Look, look, even later Solomon record when he builds the temple, when he gets the ark and the altar back together in the same building, <laughs> but he builds another altar. He kind of expands and intensifies upon what, what, notice he doesn't make the altar smaller. He makes the altar bigger. He intensifies what was already there. This is what the scripture says in 2 Chronicles 7 and 2. It says this, there a phrase, when Solomon had made an end of praying, with indication of the altar, and he's done all this dedication for the temple with sacrifices and such. When Solomon had made an end of praying, look what happened. The fire came down from heaven and the verse ends up with saying and the glory of the Lord filled the house. He had made it such a priority that even in the design and the pattern of the design of the temple that he would make to God that would be exceeding magnificent, he makes an altar of greater size than even the altar of the tabernacle and he's prayed and offered up prayers to God and in the seeking of the altar, fire comes down. In the seeking of the altar, God's glory shows up. He didn't go out looking for God. He went out looking for the altar. And when he oh, spent some time at the altar, fire begins to fall. God's presence. Listen, you are not stupid and you know this, but hear me well. If the first apostolic church will seek an altar, we won't have to ask God to come in our midst. He'll show up. We won't have to beg him to come on a Wednesday night. He'll walk in. If we'll prioritize an altar, go the distance, travel, whatever you do, whatever hardship, whatever inconvenience, if you'll prioritize the altar, he'll come seeking for the church. Oh, yes. That's the reason why we see it bear out even the New Testament scripture of Acts 4.31. The Bible says when the people, when they prayed, the place was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. That's his presence. <laughs> but they were spending time in prayer they were spending time if you will at an altar and the Lord appeared to them someone say amen heaven visits altar seekers 
Solomon didn't go to the physical ark at first. He'll get there eventually. According to the harmony of this story found in Kings, he will get there eventually. But he didn't go there at first. Figuratively, it came to him whenever he sought after the altar. Look at this verse of Scripture, verse 13. Amen. In the same chapter of our text, 2 Chronicles 1 and verse 13. Then, then Solomon came from his journey to the high place that was at Gibeah to Jerusalem from before the tabernacle of the congregation and reigned over Israel. What's he doing? He's finishing up his journey. He had went from Jerusalem to Gibeah to seek after the altar. Now he is journeying from Gibeah back to Jerusalem, the Bible says. He's journeying, journeying from the tabernacle, from before the tabernacle back to Jerusalem, and he's going to reign over Israel. You know what that then tells me? And whenever I read, was reading this, this just kind of hit me all of a sudden. What this tells me then is this. It tells me that Solomon then either spent the night at the altar or at least spent the night in Gibeon. He goes and seeks the altar in the day. At night, God appears, and now it's telling me he's journeying home. Someone say amen. And so there is this pivotal night of Solomon spending at the altar in Gibeon. And that pivotal night at the altar serves as a defining moment that will shape the reign of Solomon. It marks his beginning. It marks his commencement of his kingship with some significance because now we understand he is going to reign but his reign started at an altar. Says, I want my reign to be strengthened. I want to be established. And Solomon says, there's no better way than to do that than spending some time at an altar. Let me tell every individual that's new and every new convert, if you want your relationship with God to be established and you want your relationship with God to be strengthened, then start that relationship at an altar. Someone say amen. See, Solomon seeking the altar. Solomon just wasn't seeking a location for an offering. That wasn't his sole purpose. He was looking for a connection to the divine. And he understood, he recognized that the establishment of his kingdom, the establishment of his reign wasn't, listen to me, wasn't solely the result of a earthly inheritance but a spiritual covenant with the Almighty. David by succession could say, you take the throne, that's mere earthly. But Solomon says, I need more than an earthly inheritance. I need a spiritual empowerment. 
And so that night of communication at the altar in Gibeah, that wasn't Solomon just going through some ceremonial act, amen, through some ritual and some formalism. No, no, no. He was establishing a, a step for his kingdom that would be rooted and grounded, amen, in the guidance of God. Hallelujah. Because that's how you establish yourself in the kingdom. David, his dad, gave Solomon the kingdom. Gave it to him. That's great. Here you go, son. Have the kingdom. Wonderful. Although David gave it, only the altar could establish him in it. God gives us a lot of things. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. There, there, there is no variable, no shadow of turning in our God. Every good gift comes from Him. But there's a lot of gifts that He's given that we're not established in. Because establishment comes from the altar. Someone say amen. So there's really two distinct dimensions here in the kingship of Solomon. He has an earthly inheritance, but he also needs a spiritual foundation. The Bible says, amen, to us that he was going to have to establish or strengthen himself. Whenever we look at his final days, David had passed down the kingdom to Solomon, a, a tangible transfer of power from father to son, and this was customary for this, this day. This was customary for kings and sons of succession of an earthly realm for a son to pass it on to his father, and then a son pass it on to his uh, a father pass it on to his son. Rather, amen. And that is very significant, and that's very important. That should be something celebrated. But all of that pales in comparison, amen, to the communion that Solomon had at an altar. Amen. David's going to bestow the kingdom upon him that's that's a physical inheritance but the altar is going to establish his reign what that meant was what he was doing what he was going through it was more than lineage I'm fourth generation Pentecost I had the 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 privilege of being raised in the family that I was raised with the things that were spoken in my life that was an earthly inheritance that was an earthly inheritance but that didn't establish me because mom and dad was in church that didn't because grandma and grandpa was because my great grandma was a minister that doesn't establish it God gives gifts, but he wants us to lift our, our end of the cross too. Someone hear me right now? Hey Amen. There will be things given, but it's, it's going to take our, amen, involvement in lifting our end of the cross as well. Amen. At a spiritual plane of finding some time at an altar. Amen. That is what really cemented Solomon's kingship in the annals of history. More than what he got from his earthly father. It's what he got from his heavenly father. And folks, that's the touch we need in this generation because we need a world that's not just going to get some type of earthly material that we can exchange they need something divine they need something otherworldly they someone say amen 
So Solomon understood that my establishment doesn't start at the throne. It starts at the altar. That my faith doesn't hinge on what daddy gave to me. It hinges on what I'm earnestly seeking after. Someone say amen. So Solomon's start begins at the altar, finds its grounding there, and continues on forward. The reason why that deal's difficult to difficult with me is because oftentimes I'm looking for the means of convenience. Had I been Solomon, I would probably just cut to the chase and go seek the Ark of the Covenant that's in the same city that I dwell. That would just have been easy. That wouldn't have afforded me, you know, much work or energy. I could have did it without a trip of rocky terrain and hills and valleys. I could have just went over in Jerusalem and did that. Because what I look for today, I want the shortcut. I want convenience. I want to bypass all the six and a half miles and afford myself at whatever's at hand. Huh? The generation of immediate gratification. Quick answers. But when you try to practice that same type of ordeal with God, you know what happens? You oftentimes jeopardize a very deep communion and connection to the Lord. Musicians can come. So Solomon says, I'm going to choose the path of depth over the path of haste. I'm going to embrace this journey that leads me closer to God. Because in leading me closer to God, it's also transforming me as Solomon along the way by spending the night at the altar. Stand with me here tonight. So that's great for Solomon, Brother McGee, and that's such a cultural thing so many years ago, and we're so far removed let us remember just for a, a, a little moment. Solomon's reign began at an altar. And our establishment in this spiritual kingdom, guess what I dared to say, started at an altar. It might have been at this church. could have been like one of the Adams kids at house or their home. It could have been someone driving down the road. But you know what I believe pinpointed the start of their journey in the spiritual kingdom? An altar. And that altar, you know what that altar did in their life? It led to his presence. <laughs> it led to his presence because it's the design of the altar to lead you to where the Lord is. Note 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 1. And I'm closing, not really am. The Bible says this, this is Solomon in the constructing of the altar in the temple. Moreover, he made an altar of brass. It's intensified now. 20 cubits the length thereof, and 20 cubits the breadth thereof, and 10 cubits the height thereof. So it's, it's length and breadth are equal. It's 20 cubits by 20 cubits. That's fine and dandy. But whenever you understand something else in the tabernacle, in the temple, you read 2 Chronicles 3 and 8. 
The Bible says that he, Solomon, made the most holy house. That's the holiest of holies. That's the place where the Ark of the Covenant is. That's the place where God's spirit dwells. Everybody still with me? I feel like people's disconnecting before I'm disconnected. That in this space, the link thereof was the breadth of the house, 20 cubits. And the breadth was 20 cubits. Wait a minute. The place where God's presence was, was 20 cubits wide by 20 cubits long. The altar that Solomon made for this temple was 20 cubits wide by 20 cubits long. Meaning the altar that he made was the same size in width and breadth as the most holy place where God's presence would dwell. With that, I tell you this, that the space for God's presence was no larger than the size of their altar. A 20 cubit wide altar match a 20 cubit wide space for where God's presence would go. A 20 cubit long altar match the 20 cubit length of space where God's presence was, would dwell. The altar sized match the size of where God's presence. With that I declare this, as you increase your altar, you increase your capacity. I read a story, I won't go into it all, but you're already standing. There's a story, I read it to my family just here this last week. I was reading the book, and I was in there, I was like, mm, or whatever, and Mariah's like, what? And so I started reading the chapter in a book. But I'm just giving you a little tidbit of this gentleman who was from East India, of K.P. Yohanan, and this was his statement. I think we, we need to align our assumptions about prayer meetings and the altar and prayer with his when he said, speaking of prayer meetings or prayer, he said they are essential. He said of primary importance. He says where he came from in India and many other parts of the world where Christians are persecuted and harassed for their faith, he said the prayer meeting is the centerpiece of the church's life. He says everyone comes. And he says the meeting often lasts long into the night. And it's not unusual for believers to arise daily before sunup to pray together for the work of the church. The reason why he's saying all of this is because he came from India to America. He, went, he heard of some famed preacher and he wanted to go to his church. He went to his church and there were thousands of people there. And the preaching did not disappoint. And the preacher said this coming week on such and such night we're going to have a prayer meeting. And there's some things heavy on my heart. And so Johanan with the same assumptions that he had from his country thought my goodness if there were thousands at the church service there's going to be a lot of people at the prayer meeting. And he showed up early and he said many minutes early and waited and waited no one's coming he thought D -d did I get the right chapel he went outside and looked at the label yeah this is the right chapel and about time for prayer meeting to start seven people walked in and he says no one sang no one worshipped no one had a prayer list he said there was more chit chat about world events and what was going on in their life than talking to God and he said, there was a man that wasn't the pastor. 
and he spoke a few words and we all left. The pastor never even showed up. And he said, I sat there in dumbfounded silence and asked, is this what it really is? Why? Because we like shortcuts. We'd much rather come in here and tap into the 220 of his presence than getting there by spending some time in an altar. Because that's easy. And that don't require much of me. But I tell you again and again, Solomon says, I'm going there because I know that is linked to the ark. I'm challenging us as we look into the new year because this is like the last sermon, sermon I'll preach before the new year that we need to seek God's presence earnestly through an altar. Listen, not just in the moments when we need something. But we need to be in a continuous quest. What are you saying, Pastor McGee? I'm saying let's be intentional about our prayers. Let's acknowledge that our establishment in God's presence isn't a one-time event. No, it's a journey. It's an ongoing pursuit. That shapes our character. It enriches the altar. Enriches your life. The altar brings you closer to the sacred. The altar lessens the veil between where you're at, reality, and the heavenly. Because, and I know you've been standing, but among all these fleeting aspects of the world, you need a sure foundation of an altar. Lord, take me back to that old landmark. It's ancient. It was 475 years old. It probably, it probably had a few scuff marks. But it was vital for Solomon's day and his establishment. And I tell you tonight, our altar is no less vital for our day, your family your loved ones and us in this community. And I'll preach it probably in the new year too. Because we allow other things to come in and edge us away from our altar. We allow the six and a half miles. Come on, you, you listen. I know what I say is true because it happens to me too. All right? So I'm not talking like from inexperience. I know that there's times that the enemy just wants to say, oh, forget it. I went to church. I felt God's presence. So see, it don't take all that. I can just live my life and have more time to do other stuff if I don't spend time in prayer, you know, and I can still go to church and feel God's presence. I'm just telling you the truth. That's how we operate. He's going to meet me there. Well, that's a lot of God's mercy. But listen, he don't owe us any of that. The link is between the altar and the ark. And if you'll spend time there with him, you spend time there, you don't have to go searching for him. He'll show up in your prayer closet. He'll show up next side you during service. He'll show up as you're preaching. He'll show up as you're teaching. He'll show up as you're witnessing.
Let's bow our heads all across this place tonight. From altar to ark. You want to establish a kingdom legacy? Let it begin with prayer. Let it begin with prayer. We've done a lot of it today. I know we have. Can I open this altar one more time? And it is still just 745. It's not very late. I wonder if someone would make the, figuratively, would make the six and a half mile journey tonight. You go over the rocky terrain. We slip through the narrow paths of the valleys to go to the altar that's linked to his presence. How many times have you been frustrated seeking for, seeking for the identity and the thumbprint of his presence when he really wanted you seeking his face, wanted you seeking him individually? You notice then all of a sudden he just sweeps in. He almost arrests your soul. And it's like, whew, God's spirit is here. God's presence is here. Man, there have been times, church family, I've started out praying and felt like I was scratching, scratching the ceiling and hitting mortars and brick. But through the diligence of the practice, all of a sudden, the Lord appeared. Yeah, the Lord appeared. Listen, it was in that night that God appeared to Solomon that he asked him that question. Ask of me what I shall give thee. And Solomon did not ask for riches and he did not ask for honor. He asked for wisdom and he asked for knowledge. And it was those very things that characterized the reign of Solomon. It's those very things that established his kingdom. And that took place at an altar. So, ma'am, tonight, let me tell you something very well. You can have longevity in your walk and relationship with God whenever you incorporate an altar as a part of that walk. This thing can go beyond your generation. It can go to your children and your children's children. Amen. If you incorporate an altar in your walk. Hallelujah. Let's talk to God right now. Hallelujah. Come on, somebody. Will you talk to the Lord right now? Ah, the Old Testament Scripture says, Seek Him while He yet may be found. Amen. Isaiah said, Seek Him while He is near. Oh, God, we cry out to You. God, we come to You through and by an altar tonight, oh, God. Oh, yes, God. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.